One of the questions that I've been asked several times um, since we've moved to Orlando, um, and I'm not talking about from people outside, I'm talking about from those of us within the church, um, is what is evangelism and what does it actually look like for us? Um, and there's been maybe a handful of people who've asked this question, have pondered it, um, and so I'm going to take a few minutes to try and answer those questions. Um, again, looking to the scriptures, looking to the life of Jesus. Evangelism is one of the scripture, or, or I guess a topic that's not extensively um, pointed to in scriptures, but instead we more so look to the life of Jesus. Um, but when I was considering these things, I felt like the Lord was sharing um, his thoughts and insight. And so in a simple way, I, said, I, I jotted this note down. Evangelism is the declaration. It's both the declaration and the demonstration of the gospel uh, with the goal of bringing people, not just, un, not just people who are unsaved, but maybe even people who've actually encountered the Lord, um, but bringing people to the point of surrendering their life to him as the Lord of their lives and aligning their lives to his purposes here in the earth. Um, so what that means is it's not just a big outdoor meeting, and it also doesn't mean that it's not an outdoor, big outdoor meeting. Um, we have to look at the life of Jesus and consider what does evangelism look like. And as I prayed through these things, I felt like the Lord was speaking to me about a few different stories. And then as I started to consider those stories, I, I felt like he was putting the pieces of the puzzle together for me. Um, and he, he brought up a few, a few uh, different stories uh, that he was involved in. And so um, I'm just going to name them real fast and then we can kind of consider those for the sake of time. It's not going to be an exhaustive list of every time Jesus was uh, behaving evangelistically. That would be challenging to cover in the 15, minute, 15 20 minute time period. Um, but there are a handful of them. So in John 3, you see the account of Jesus and Nicodemus, who's a religious leader, um, somebody who has a lot of head knowledge, uh, somebody who knows the scriptures, um, but he still in, finds himself in an encounter with Jesus where Jesus is sharing things that are actually confounding to him because he doesn't have. Uh, a true knowledge of who God is. I mean, so he's actually having a conversation with him about how do I become born again. And Jesus doesn't just make it so simple to say, well, let's pray a simple prayer and you're going to be a part of the family. He actually makes him wrestle through things that are challenging for him to come to the place where he would realize who Jesus is and make a decision to, uh, to make him the Lord. I, I shouldn't say make him to invite him to be the Lord and ruler of his heart and his life. Um, so he's a religious leader. This is, this is one of the points that I think is important for us. It's not just, he's not just out in the street corners in, the, in, in Kissimmee or down OBT with the roughest of the rough. He's actually an intelligent, probably wealthy individual um, who knows about God. He knows of God. He believes God is real. Um, if you had that type of a conversation with him, he would say those things. He's expecting the Messiah one day, um, but he's encountering Jesus, and his heart 
has to be won over as he encounters Jesus there. Then John chapter 4, you have the Samaritan woman at the well. Um, again, she is expectantly looking forward to the coming of the Messiah. And they're wrestling through this conversation once again. Completely different individual. Somebody he wasn't even supposed to be talking to. But it seems his way he went out of his way to create an intersection. A personal one-on-one -on -one moment with somebody so that he could reveal himself. And again, bring this individual into a moment where she could make a decision and say, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to give you my life. Luke chapter 19, Zacchaeus. He's walking along and there's a man who's desperate to see Jesus. I've got to see him. I'm desperate to see him. He didn't deserve to see him. He had no right to see him. But there's a man who's desperate to see him. We all understand the story. Zacchaeus is the tax collector. Zacchaeus has robbed people. He's not worthy, but he's a man who's hungry, and he's desperate to see Jesus. And Jesus is walking along, and he's like, come, I'm, I'm, come down. I'm going to come to your house today. He says, I must stay at your house today. And then he tells him, salvation has come to your house today. And so, again, there's this personal one-on-one, -on -one, like, I'm going to come to your house conversation going on. Luke chapter 24 the disciples are in the road to Emmaus. Jesus is walking along. He, he appears. He starts walking alongside of them. They're blinded from being able to see who he is. But then he begins to reveal himself to them through the scriptures. Again, one-on-one, -on -one, they beg him to stay. He pretends like he's going to continue his journey and go where he's going. They beg him to stay. Please come to our home. Please come and be with us. Don't go anywhere. He chooses to stay. And then as he's sitting at the table with them breaking bread, their eyes are open. They realize who it is. He disappears. And they're left with this question, we're not our hearts burning. What's going on? So these are all personal accounts where Jesus is in a one-on-one -on -one type of a way revealing himself through mysteries. Not just like, I'm Jesus, you have to answer me, say this prayer, all of a sudden we're going to get you into a church and now we've put you into, like Frankie said, the system and we have evangelism. Um, and it's also, none of these examples I've just given, I think we would all agree there are moments where Jesus was behaving evangelistically. He was operating evangelistically, but there weren't any mass crowds. Again, I'm not saying mass crowds are wrong because you actually see that in the scripture in the life of Jesus as well. There's moments where the crowds gathered. But I don't think they're as prevalent as we would like to make them in our minds when we consider the conversation of evangelism. And I believe the reason we prefer it to be that way is because when it's a mass crusade, mass neighborhood evangelism idea, it really takes a lot of the burden and responsibility off of us as a people. See, the idea of evangelism is to demonstrate and declare the gospel. Why? So that people, just like they did when they encountered Jesus, he is revealed, 
and they have to wrestle through a decision. Am I going to surrender my life to him and walk with him according to his purposes and his ways? That's easy for us to consider in light of mass evangelism. It's easy for us to consider that and say, oh, well, there's this big evangelistic crusade happening in our city. Or there's a big evangelistic event happening in this area or this region or even in this nation. And so we're going to fund it. Those things are easy, right? But then when he actually invites us to live our lives evangel evangelistically, how does it impact us? Now, as it was already mentioned, there's a price that I have to pay because that means I'm inviting someone to my home so that my life can actually demonstrate, so that my family can actually demonstrate something that now is producing the same results or the same fruit that you see as Jesus is going throughout his day-to-day -day life. And now there's a burden and a responsibility that we carry as a people to live our lives evangelistically. And it doesn't always mean, and it doesn't necessarily mean it's not, but it doesn't always mean that it's going out to street corners, passing out tracks, passing out bottled waters because it's 115,000 degrees outside right now and we want to tell people about Jesus. I'm not saying these things are wrong and they can't be done in an evangelistic way. What I'm saying is what we see predominantly is not this mass evangelistic outreach that in the life of Jesus or these, these events that are put together. What we see is he's living his life in such a way that he is being revealed all of this, those encounters, the, the encounter with Nicodemus, the Samaritan woman, what did, what did he say to her? She said, surely the Messiah is coming. I know he's coming. She's expectant. And his response is, I am who you speak of. It's me. I'm the one that you're looking for. Nicodemus, same situ situation. He's speaking to Nicodemus and he's telling him with, with maybe less words or, or more words, it's me that you're looking for. You know that. You have to be born again. And so now it's this confusing conversation that begins. How can a man be born again? You know, all of these different things begin to, to go back and forth in conversation. And ultimately what he's saying to Nicodemus is, you, it, it can't just be a head knowledge. You actually, you've encountered me. Now you have to make a decision. You've come to me in the dark. Are you willing to walk with me in the light? And so over and over again, we see this in the life of Jesus. And I think, again, as it's been done already, we recognize um, e even, even when the, the crowds would gather, there was many times Jesus would withdraw. He would retreat. He would get in the boat and go to the other side because the crowds were there. Uh, but I want us to actually look at Matthew 9 and, and, and Matthew 10 just briefly in Matthew 9, it says that he sees the crowds and he has compassion on them. So the crowds are gathered. He has compassion on them. And how does he respond? We see it in the beginning of Matthew chapter 10, verses 7 and 8. In Matthew chapter 10, verses 7 and 8, he says, As you go, proclaim the kingdom of heaven has come near. And then he says, Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the leper, drive out demons. Freely you've received, now freely you give. So in, in, at the end of Matthew chapter 9, if you look at the end of Matthew chapter 9, the crowds have gathered. He has compassion for them. And then at the beginning of Matthew chapter 10, his solution is, I'm going to send out the 12. 
I'm going to put authority on their lives to go and do the things that need to be done. They are going to go and proclaim the kingdom. They're going to go evangelize. They're going to go find those who are dead, and they're going to raise them. They're going to find the sick. They're going to heal them. They're going to find those who are bound. They're going to set them free by this power, by this authority. And so the charge is when, when you see the compassion of Jesus, it wasn't like, man, I'm looking around. The crowds are here. I'm, I'm feeling this great sense of compassion. We've got to put a big event together. It was, no, I actually believe, on, I believe in what's on your lives. I believe, even as Frankie alluded to a few minutes ago, Acts chapter 1, I believe that your lives are actually the solution that's going to bring a revelation of who I am, and it's going to cause people and call them to a place where they have to make a decision to lay down their lives and follow me. You see this actually in John 13, verses 30, John 13, verse 35. The way that we interact with one another actually causes the world to look on and realize, oh, wait a minute, he's real. He's real. So the way we interact with each other, the way we interact with them, there's this real-life opportunity to give ourselves to evangelism. Does that mean like, oh, well, I'm, I'm occupying the office of an evangelist? That's not what we're saying. But what I am saying is we're to do the work of the evangelist. What I am saying is there's a charge on our lives. To, Mike said it this way when we were having a conversation the other day. Not to be invitationalist. Because typically, since it's been the way that the conversation has been formed and previously, we would measure it in specific ways. Oh, I'm being evangelistic. How? I'm inviting people to church. Oh, I'm being evangelistic. How? Oh, I'm out you know, at this big event, and we're telling people about Jesus. But we also have to consider it with the inheritance of Jesus as the center focal point, right? Because we can have big events. We could go into Kissimmee, and I promise we could, make a, we could, we could get a big group of people together. We could tell them about Jesus. We could get a lot of decision cards filled out, and we could celebrate that. Be like, man... X amount of people gave their lives to Jesus today. Sure, but how many of them have actually been planted in a family where they're now going to be discipled? How many of them have been planted in a family where they're going to be loved? How many of them are actually going to be integrated into a family because this is what Jesus is actually after? Versus if we all lived our lives evangelistically and let, the, let that burden land on our hearts and on our lives in real practical ways. And all of a sudden, our dinner table became the pulpit that we used to evangelize the world. Because we're living out the values and the convictions that were mentioned earlier, because we're living our lives that way, now we begin to impact people and evangelize them without actually sometimes even using our words. But because we've been hospitable, now, man, we've encountered, I've encountered Jesus. I want to respond to that. Because we've been generous I've encountered Jesus. I want to respond to that. Because I've shared meals with people, I've encountered Jesus. I want to respond to that. And now there's people who are being added into family. They're actually being planted as a part of a people, which is what Jesus is coming back for. I don't believe Jesus is coming back looking for a church of X amount of people that says, well, we've, we have 100,000 decision cards. Yeah, but where, where's my bride? 
where are the people that you've actually planted into your family and given your lives to disciple and raise up in the, in the knowledge of God? Where are they? I believe this is what he's looking for. And so the consideration of evangelism, it's necessary for us to really bring it all the way to the point of what are we doing to actually bring the revelation of Jesus to those around us to the point that it causes them to wrestle into a decision. I'm going to allow him to rule my heart, my life, my family, my time, my agenda, my schedule, my resources, my finances, and then actually bring them into a place where we plant, their, their lives are planted and we're discipling them. It sounds amazing because we all want to go to OBT and evangelize, but nobody wants to go to OBT and invite those people to our dinner tables. This is just real conversation. I had a conversation with somebody maybe a year ago, and I said, it's going to be amazing to consider evangelism when all of a sudden somebody who's maybe over the past previous years a convicted pedophile well, when we say, like, I'm working, we want to invite you to church, that means we're inviting you into our homes. Oh, wait a minute. Now this is becoming very challenging. <laughs> I didn't actually want to do that. I just wanted to give him a cheeseburger and let him, like, let him say a specific prayer after me, and then we can chalk it up as a win. I get that. I understand it. And that's the way we've measured it at times. But I think we have to consider the inheritance of Jesus and what is he actually after. He's actually the after the restoration of this said person, and you can put in any kind of terrifying, descriptive adjective that you would like to to make it, you know, problematic, a drunk, a drug addict, a this or that. The problem begins to affect our lives in such a way that like it actually affects us. We have to give our lives to what, it, what, are the, what is the aftermath of evangelism. It's a people who need to be loved and discipled. Even considering Acts chapter 1, Frankie, Frankie brought it up earlier. Jesus is raised from the dead. He appears to the disciples with many convincing proofs for a period of 40 days, teaching them on the kingdom. Right? And ultimately their question is, well, still very self-centered. Was this now the time that you're going to restore Israel? They're still thinking about themselves. They're still thinking about their own desires. They're still thinking about their own plans. And he says, no, I'm actually going to give you the spirit so that you can become my witnesses. This is his answer. They're with Jesus 40 days, teaching them, this is what the kingdom looks like. This is what the kingdom looks like. All right, are you going to restore Israel? No. I'm going to give you the spirit, and you're going to be my witnesses, yes, in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the world, ends of the earth. Because this is what I'm actually after. I'm after a people from every tribe, nation, and tongue. And it's going to require, as Frankie mentioned, the power of the spirit to come on our lives to make us a witness. And so maybe we've been thinking about it the wrong way. Maybe we've been considering it the wrong way. Maybe we've been looking for an evangelistic outlet instead of an evangelistic lifestyle. Um, just in the consideration of how it, what it should look like, I think it 
should look like an expression of what we've experienced. I think evangelism should look like an expression of what we've experienced. Um, a simple example would be this. And I shared this at a, at a gathering recently in our house church. Um, Camden invited a couple of our friends over to our home recently. And they were there. And we all sat down at the dinner table. And they became extremely awkward. Like wildly awkward. They're teenagers, so I wasn't that surprised. But wildly awkward. And so we're eating dinner. I'm trying to talk to them. We're trying to have conversations. Super weird. So they end up eating their pizza. They go upstairs. I'm just like, whatever. I don't really care that much anyways. <laughs> I'm just going to move on. So I move on. And my whole thought process, like, I'm not, in, I'm not engaging there anymore. Later, when they were gone, I asked Camden, why are your friends so weird? Like, why do you have such weird friends? And she was like, Dad, I went upstairs and I asked him, why are you guys being so weird? And her, their response was this. We actually didn't know what to do because we don't actually sit at the table and eat dinner with our own families. So we didn't know how to act. Like, we were just confused. <laughs> we didn't know what to do. But we want to come back. And it's not like we did something amazing. I mean, it was bad. It was Domino's pizza, cheap Domino's pizza, like not even like expensive Domino's pizza, the one you get $6.99 if you buy two or three of them, I think it was. You know, that one. So it wasn't like, man, you, like you got your parents buy amazing pizza, we want to come back. It wasn't like the conversation at the table was amazing, we want to come back because it was terrible. It was an, a, a value, a conviction that we have as a family and as a people that we're going to share meals together and we're going to let the presence of Jesus be center at our tables. And they were like, oh, no, something unique is happening here. We want to be a part of it. This is evangelism. It, it, it doesn't have to be painted in some big, beautiful, crazy way. Not to say those things are wrong, man. It's amazing to see crusade fields filled up with millions of people giving their lives to Jesus. I, I want to be super clear. I'm not talking about that in a negative light. What I'm saying is, what is our responsibility as a people to live evangelistically so that we're bringing to the people to the place where they encounter Jesus and they make a decision. I actually want to be a part of this family. And so I'm going to align my life to this way of life. And now all of a sudden, Jesus is getting what it is he's actually after, his inheritance of people. And so we have to consider evangelism this way as we look at the life of Jesus. Yes, big crowds, big gatherings. This is how the, disciples, the first disciples actually came about, right? <laughs> if, you look in, if you look at the scriptures, Jesus is preaching to the crowds. The disciples are there. He gets on one of their boats. They're like, oh, snap, you're him. You're the guy we've been looking for our entire lives. From generation to generation to generation to generation, now you're standing on my boat. And he says, leave everything and come and follow me. That's evangelism. <laughs> Leave everything and come and follow me. You've realized it's me. Now leave everything and come and follow. And so um, it looks like both and. But primarily for us, um, I believe he's calling us to a way of life that is evangelistic instead of seeking what kind of evangelistic outlets we can create and give our attention to. So King Jesus
I'm asking you, Lord, to help us. I'm asking you to have the, have the freedom to redefine what it looks like for us to live our lives evangel- evangelistically. I'm asking for you to put a burden on our hearts as a people to open up our lives and open up our homes as we live out these convictions that we believe you've asked us to give our lives to, that we wouldn't look at opportunities to quote-unquote lead people to Jesus, but instead we'd open up our lives in real ways and with the declaration of the word and the gospel and the demonstration of it with our lives. We would, we would bring people, Lord, religious leaders, people who it's unspeakable that we're even in the same place, people who don't seem to have a right to sit at the table, people who we would think already maybe have given their lives to you in a specific way. But as you consider Nicodemus, as you consider the Samaritan woman at the well, as you consider Zacchaeus, as you consider those on the road to, to Emmaus, Lord, they all had heard of you. They all had a head knowledge of you. They all had, in some sense, a hunger. In other senses, a lack of hope. Lord, I pray that you would use our lives as a people, to be laid down and given so that you can reveal yourself to the world and so that others would find themselves in the place where they now wrestle with the realities of who you are. And if they're actually willing to surrender their hearts and lives to you, help us to be able to bear up under this burden, this responsibility to do the work of the evangelist. Let us not be invitationalists. Let us not look for opportunities to invite people to church gatherings. But instead, let us look for opportunities to invite them into our lives, into our homes, to our dining room tables. Lord, challenge our hearts. Let us not be selfish May our lives be lived out in an evangelistic way so that you can have ultimately what you deserve. Let us not be a church who are excited about evangelism because we can produce reports, but instead we can present a bride. Lord, we want to be evangelistic not so that we can have amazing Facebook posts, but so that we can present you the bride that you deserve from every tribe, every nation, and every tongue. Make us these witnesses by the power of the Spirit. Do what you can only do by the power of the Spirit. God, and we say yes to you. We love you, Jesus. Thank you for grace on our lives to live evangelistically. In Jesus' name.